there are certain tools in operations that never go out of style. They may not be quite as exciting and as sexy, but these are tools that deliver results. Hi, and welcome to Solved It, the show where we explore big, impossible problems and talk to the people who solve them. I'm Karen Worthy, your host, and I'm excited to have you here. Let's get started. Hi, I did this interview with Katie a little over a month ago, and as I was going through the editing, I determined that there was really a lot of good content here, and so I split the episode into two parts. This is part two, so if you haven't heard part one, I'd highly encourage you to go back an episode and listen to part one first. However, you can listen to this one without having listened to the first one, but they're both really valuable, and it'll give you a little bit more insight into Katie and into what she's going through here. Part one is all about how she developed skills and switched industries from financial services over to operations. And then part two picks up more recently with a crisis that she managed within her company and how she tackled that impossible problem and came out the other side and had some amazing learnings. And so we're going to dive into her crisis management, what her team did, what she did, and what she learned throughout the process in this part two of the episode. So hope you enjoy. Thanks. Today, we'll be talking with Katie Curry, a business and operations leader who has solved some difficult problems in the last few years. Katie, welcome. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Very happy to be here, Karen. Very happy to have you as well. As I've gotten to know you, I've become even more impressed with your story. I'd love to start a little earlier in your journey before we get to the big problem that you solved. Past five years, I have worked and I've been leading large teams. My most recent teams, 240 people. They were spread in 22 countries and it was around the sun model. Very exciting, doing business transformation for an operational team, for a creative team, for an analytical team. And what I'm really passionate about is taking mediocre teams or good teams to great and finding value in these engine room teams. Say more about the engine room teams. Like, I would love to understand what that means to you. Yeah. So those are the back office and mid office teams that don't get a lot of, they're typically a cost center and they don't get a lot of praise or they don't get a lot of publicity, but their work is so critical. And one delay or one error or waste that uh, in their process is immediately felt by the clients. And so, I found out early on that there's a lot of opportunity, not just to expand margins and to do cost savings and to deliver efficiency with these teams, but there was a lot of opportunity to innovate. And so that was the next step in my journey is how do I tap into the innovation and how do I link it to business strategy to deliver results for the company? I love that. And I know you and I were talking earlier about this big problem that you solved. Here threads of tapping into that creativity and really engaging the workforce and making sure everybody is part of the problem solving as you're doing that. I would love to have you share what the issue was that led up to this big problem that you solved. Absolutely. So the issue is something that most companies have faced, if not all companies, and it's not so unusual, but it's definitely relevant for me and my team. When COVID hit, and of course, in a large global team, we that was previously always co-located with our business partners and so co-located that we used to sit next to them and work in the office almost five days a week. Um, 
with a new team that's Gen Z and millennials, the, a team that has high attrition and is more junior, our hypothesis had previously always been that we need to be on site and work on site for the most part. And of course, COVID hits. And not only do we face the issue of adjusting and moving the team to work and operate effectively and efficiently from home, but because of the nature of the business, the market and the clients wanted to hear from us and they wanted to, they wanted to hear our research, hear our, on our view. And as a result of that, the work of the team, the volume of the work just skyrocketed. We had six consecutive weeks of record-breaking volume, one after the other. I had weeks in which work increased by 200, 300 and almost oh, 400%. And this is happening very quickly because of the market uncertainty, the voice of the company and the team was really relevant. And so it led to a lot of what we call releases, a lot of releases. A team that had typically done 15 releases a day now had one day had to do 47 releases. Let me pause you for a second then. So COVID has just hit. In addition to all of the personal panic and worldwide panic that is going on, your volume has tripled, more than tripled in this short amount of time. You have a very young population that's used to working co-located with their customers. How are, like, I guess, how are you feeling, but also how is your team feeling and how is your leadership at your company feeling during this point in time? Look, there was a lot of uncertainty. I was quite anxious at the time of whether we were really able to pull this off because we had never done this before. And we had spent up to then quite a few months upskilling the team, executing on our mission and vision. And a big part of the transformation we had done was around Lean Six Sigma and Agile and introducing Agile Light for non-technologists. And so when that hit, when the volume and COVID hit, I think that across the organization, there was this kind of, we all mobilized resources and got together and we knew that we had to solve this problem. This is what the customers expected of us. And, and especially for me and the team, we knew that one way or another, we had the determination to come out on the other side, smarter, maybe more efficient, and certainly to be able to really overcome this big obstacle that came our way. And I think what Initially, what helped is all of the groundwork that we had laid, all of that learning on lean and all of the process improvement and all the cross-skilling and all the visual boards and the scrums and scrums of scrums and all of those meetings. So we did a number of things. Me personally, as a leader, a leader alone is not able to solve big problems. And that is one of my biggest lessons is it's a leader together with a team together with the other leaders and in many cases together with the customers. That's in a collaborative ways is the really the only way that you can deliver maximum impact and results. And so what did we do? First of all, we went into planning and contingency planning and looked at all the worst case scenarios. We knew that we needed to create a fungible team of experts that can float in. When there was volume in a particular team, we could have these experienced people float around and work across the globe on various time zones to actually come in and deliver. We came up with this SWAT team. This was an emergency team. And then 
we didn't know if that was going to be enough. So we also, because the team has been an exporter of talent, junior talent across the organization, we look to see who else is available across the organization who are recent alumni, and they may need to get called back because if we're not able to deliver on this very foundational work, none of the other pieces really, they were less relevant And if you couldn't execute on the foundational piece. And then what we did next is focus on the immediate problem at hand and what are the tools that we have available and what are, what's the data that's available that can help us solve the problems. And so we had the daily stand-up meetings and Unlike before, where the team had operated a little bit more in regionally and in a silo, we operated as one global team because that was the only way to meet this big demand. So, so I'm going to jump in for a second, though. Jump. I'm a huge fan of daily stand-up meetings. I think they provide so much value. I would love to really focus in on that for a minute or two. Can you talk me through what nuts and bolts, what did you actually do or say or talk about in the daily stand-up meetings? So, what we did a few things at these meetings. First is we didn't just show up to the meeting and we had to do some prep work. And we had our crumb boards that had information that had to be inputted ahead of the meetings. And that information basically gave us a view of what needs to happen today for us to be successful. What work needs to be done that is critical and cannot be delayed. So we came in. And we took a look and we looked on our board, our virtual board, where everyone had access and had already inputted information. We said, look, this is what's happening today. And then we looked at our resources and we have a robust resource allocation model. So that gave us the foundational pieces of data that helped us resolve the problem. And what we did, and it was not just me, but my leadership team, they were really key in solving this problem was to make this a collaborative process. We would, instead of me saying, I need you to help here and I need you to help there and direct, I didn't do any of that. We basically said, who can help here? Which right. team can support this? And because it was collaborative and because the data was available and clear, the team knew we wanted to succeed and we really wanted to show that we can do this. And so we had a lot of volunteers and while people were tired and they were challenged and they were struggling personally, it also gave us purpose and it gave us a distraction from the fear of the pandemic. So we started with the daily stand-ups and the fungible team and calling on these additional people. And then the next piece of solving the problem was how we communicate. And this is not just how we communicate amongst ourselves, because we already, through the through these stand-up meetings and through using all of our lean tools, we already knew how to communicate. But how do we communicate with our stakeholders across the company? And especially because we were used to communicating with them by walking over to their desk. And very so, different in a remote world. <laughs> very yeah. different. And also very different when you are a stakeholder in New York and you're used to having someone in New York supporting you from an operation side. But in fact, you get you have somebody in Argentina because that's the only person or team yeah. available who is supporting you. So we had to be very clear and we shared our plan with our business partners on what the issues are, facts and data, and how we solve it. 
And we got real-time input from them. And I think that they appreciated knowing how we're solving the problem and having input into the problem. So they felt joint ownership and accountability in some ways with us. And it, this is as much their clients as our clients, and we all wanted to, to deliver for the clients. So communicating with them, being very transparent, clear, inviting them to some of these meetings, and then holding office hours for them. What did you find worked best in terms of this communication with your stakeholders? So I've seen people where they have done a lot of one-on-one meetings and like handheld each person through the process. They've done team meetings where they share, here's our direction, office hours. Did you do a little bit of all of that? I've seen emails, I've seen newsletters, I've seen town halls. Like what did you find worked best in this particular situation? I think that there were two things that worked best. And I did that either in one-on-ones or in small groups. And so it started by having them informed and having incorporating their feedback. So that was one. That's critical. And then incorporating their feedback is critical. Yes. Critical. Yes. Yes. Because if you think you're solving the problem and your stakeholders don't have a say, you're missing on opportunities. And also you're not saving the problem in the best way. You're missing on the synergy. So then that's the first, the first way. And this is what I had to do as a leader. Then in terms of how else we communicated with our other stakeholders, fortunately in the company, everybody had stand-up meetings. And so we used the existing framework, but we showed up to those framework meetings and we talked about, this is our work. This is what we can do. This is who is covering. This is where we're struggling. Do you have anything new? Do you have any priority, really high priority? Do you have any areas that we should be reprioritizing? So doing the same at the team by team level with our stakeholders and making it easy for them by showing to their stand-up meetings so that we can support them and help them. And then always opening up times where we are available for them to come to us. Oh, that's great. I love that. It's so important to to show up where they are, be where your stakeholders are, be where your customers are, and then listen and incorporate that feedback. So I love how you did that. What what did y'all do next? So next was execution. And execution was just focusing on the work. We deprioritized any other projects, anything that could be deprioritized and almost everything that was not absolutely critical got stopped. And then it was just weeks and weeks of execution. And as we got used to that, we learned a lot of lessons. One is we found that we actually can execute with this really high volume. It was not it's not sustainable and we couldn't do it indefinitely. But on a short period of crisis, we, we actually could do that. We learned that. Second is it gave our people opportunities to upskill because it was such a critical time and there was so much need that anyone who was willing to go above and beyond, they learned great skills. And that was very helpful for them. Three is we strengthen our relationships with our stakeholders because they saw that the team is not a mid-office or a back-office operational team. It's an office. It's a team that is able to really prove ourselves during the time of crisis and challenges and deliver on this volume. And then finally, a very important part is to recognize and reward people for this performance. And again, this for me was a really critical piece as a leader 
is in, when you ask people to go above and beyond and to put so much aside and to deliver so much, you, a thank you is good, but it's not enough. And so recognizing the team and how we were able to promote more people than we had in the past, we were able to do more spot bonuses and pay increases. And I think at the end, we came out of the maybe three months that were really critical time right after COVID with better skills, better relationships, and with a number of promotions and pay increase. That's amazing. It was a good story. That's a really good story. And you solved something that was really difficult that you didn't even, like a lot of difficult problems, people sit on them for a while. They think about them. They know that they're coming. With COVID, it was urgent. It was immediate. There was no, like you did prep work, but you weren't realizing you were doing prep work for this. You were just learning lean and agile and Six Sigma and all of that. And so really being able to react quickly and then take it full cycle all the way through is so impressive. I've learned so much just listening to you talk through that. And I am honestly insanely jealous of your team as they walked through that because I'm sure they learned a ton as well as they went through that process. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm sure you were very different before versus after. What would you say is one thing that you learned or that you grew because of this challenge that you solved? Maybe I think the biggest learning for me was that there are certain tools and operations that never go out of style. And there is a reason why those are tried and true and they deliver value. And we've talked about Lean and Six Sigma and Agile and process design and having real-time KPIs and OKRs. There's this operational toolbox that does not go out of style. And there's a reason why they never go out of style. They may not be quite as exciting and as sexy, But these are tools that deliver results. And what I learned, I think my biggest learning was that there's synergies. And when you combine the tools with the right mindset that we as a team operate as one team, we're going to solve this problem and we will come on the other side smarter and more efficient and better. I think when you take the mindset and the the decision together with the tools that don't go out of style, that's what helped us to solve a difficult problem. I think that I was that. my biggest learning as a leader is this synergy in combining the tools with the mindset and leading, leading from behind. I love that. So often people, they chase the shiny thing and the tools are the foundational toolbox that helps you lay the course for everything that comes after it. And I love the story because it exemplifies that. I'm going to switch gears with you for a second. I don't remember if I warned you about this or not, but there are some rapid fire questions that I'm going to do at the end. And so if you're ready, are you ready for the rapid fire questions? Let's do rapid fire. All right. So Katie, what is a great book that you have read recently? Oh, Be Your Future Self Now by Benjamin Hardy. I have not read that one, but it is going on my Audible list because I'm going to listen to that one. Perfect. What's your favorite podcast, excluding this one? On a personal level, I love The Doctor's Pharmacy with an F. It focuses on health. And on a professional level, most recently, I've been listening to Native Digital and Native Analog, Unleashing the Power of Gen Z. Nice. I've not heard that one either. And so I'm going to add that one to my audio player Mm -hmm. as well. Perfect. Okay. 
One of my big things is I am always working on something for self-improvement, always learning. I would love to know, what are you actively working on for self-improvement? I recently upskilled myself on Agile and I got an Agile certification, which I was very excited about. So my next part of the journey is to deepen my skills and knowledge because technology, any leader needs to be a technologist and needs to be proficient. And I keep expanding my skills there. Perfect. And Katie, last of the rapid fire question. What's one piece of advice you would give to someone who is facing an impossible problem? Okay, the piece of advice is that you do not have to solve impossible problems alone. The reason why they're impossible or they're challenging, maybe not impossible because we try to solve them, but it's because they require synergy and they require more brain power than just one leader or one person has. So I would say my advice is don't be afraid to ask for help and build upon what other leaders, teams, and companies have done. Thank you so much, Katie. I love that. It resonates very well with me as well. It's all about the team and it's all about building in public and help, having folks jump in and help you and be part of the solution with you. So thank you for that. Katie, I have a, really enjoyed this conversation today. I look forward to many future conversations. And I appreciate everything that you have shared with us. I know I have learned a ton and hopefully our listeners have learned a ton as well. So thank you. Karen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Have a good day.